Job chapter 1 this morning, I want to begin reading in verse number 18. The Bible says, While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. Now pay careful attention to the last part of this verse. And fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, this morning as we have enjoyed the song service, Lord, our hearts have been lifted. I pray now that as we come to the Word, that Your Holy Spirit would, like a surgeon today, do the work in our hearts that's needed. Father, I pray that for a few moments You'll help us to feel the heart of Job. Lord, I'm not asking you this morning to help us feel his pain. But Lord, I would ask you to help us to feel his heart of worship. It's a lost art in Christianity today. Lord, I pray that every one of us would leave this place today. Not only knowing what it means to worship you, but Lord, that we do it. And in spirit and in truth. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Job finds out some very disturbing news, perhaps the most devastating that a person could ever hear. And in the moments after Job hears that dreaded news, the Bible says that he fell down upon his face and worshipped. This morning, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, A Time to Worship. When is a time to worship? You know, through the years, I've preached in hundreds of churches, and along the way, I've learned that churches have service times at different times. A friend of mine planted a church in Keene, New Hampshire years ago. Do you know when his Sunday morning service was? 8 a.m. Sunday school was at 5 p.m. and the evening service was at 6 p.m. You're like, why in the world do that? Well, and that's the only time you can rent the facility. That's your service times. And do you know that we had visitors in every one of those services? We had visitors in an 8 a.m. service. I know that's hard for some of you to believe. You know, there are churches today that you know typically have the 10 and 11 o'clock service on Sunday morning. They have the... Uh, 6 o'clock service on Sunday night. I still remember when my home church made the dreaded jump on Sunday night from 7 o'clock to 6 o'clock. It was akin to compromise with some of the old school. Uh, can you believe that? We're having a 6 o'clock service. And, uh, but you know what? After a while, people said, we really like this. This is good. We get the kids into bed a little bit earlier and it works out great. But I one time learned the hard way that churches have service times at a different time. Now, this will have to 
take you back years before cell phones. I know that's hard for some of you to imagine, but there used to be a time in life where you did not have a mobile device and carried it everywhere that you went. Uh, there, was a, there was a time when you actually had to use landline phones. And years ago when I was starting in evangelism, I was preaching at a church in, outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I'll never forget it. First time I'd ever been there, I got settled into where I was staying on Saturday night. I had my oldest son Andrew with me and I'd made the dreaded mistake. I forgot to ask the pastor what time the Sunday services were. And I did not have his phone number. I did not have, you couldn't just Google it. I know we're so spoiled today. And so I looked down at my son Andrew and I said, Son, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, let's show up at the church at 9.15. I said, that way if it's a 9.30 Sunday school, we're great. If it's 10 o'clock, we're there early. But better to be early than to be late. We both agreed on it, went to bed. The next morning, we woke up, we got ready, we came to the church, and I pulled into the church parking lot at 9.15, and I was horrified by what I saw. A full parking lot. I go marching in through the front doors of the church, and the pastor is teaching the Sunday school class that I was supposed to be teaching. I was 15 minutes late. After the Sunday school lesson that he finally taught, I apologized profusely. He said, don't worry about it. I preached and actually got invited to come back to the church. So I'm thankful for that. But I've learned a lesson. I've learned a lesson. Everywhere I go now on Saturday when I'm talking to the preacher, what time are the services? What time do we worship? Let me tell you a great mistake that you'll make is whenever you confine worship to the hours that are on your church sign. Folks, I believe that even in our circles today, even in the circles in which we all are in, I believe that worship is underutilized and it's very misunderstood. And this morning I want to challenge you and ask you this question, when and how do you worship God? And I can't think of a better person to teach us this morning than Job. As we think about the time to worship, I want to show you four things this morning. The first thing that I want to show you is Job's pain that he experienced. Job has just received news that no parent ever wants to hear. And Job has received it in manifold fashion. In a moment of time, Job experienced the death of all of his children. I've had friends of mine who've walked that valley who have experienced that. And it's a great valley. I remember several years ago, a friend of mine, Billy Abbott, a graduate of the school who passed away. Billy was 52 years old. And as I sat in the funeral there in Mississippi, I'll never forget watching his parents and watching uh, his family as they stood before the casket. It was closed for the last time. And then I learned after the funeral that that was the second child that they had buried in a short amount of time. And my heart was broken because of the pain that they were experiencing. Now, I realize that for many of you here today, there are some of you that have never experienced a great deal of pain when it comes to death, and there are others of you that have experienced it more than we could ever imagine. The truth is, every life in this room has been touched by death. 
And it's a sober reminder as is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. All of us one day will see God in the judgment. But for some of you here this morning, listen, right now, it may not be the death of a loved one, but there's a pain. There's something in your heart. There's something in your life that has paralyzed you. And Job hears the news that all of his children have died in a moment of time. Now, I want to offer you a glimpse of hope this morning. And here's the glimpse of hope. If Job could make it through this pain, I promise you with God's help, you can make it too. Sometimes pain comes by death. Sometimes pain comes by disappointment. Sometimes pain comes by our own foolish actions. But you can see Job's pain when the Bible says that he rent his mantle. He takes his clothes and he rips them. You know, here in uh, the South, we show grief in different ways. I still remember as a kid... In our community, whenever death would hit, we would always say, the old wives' fable, we'd say it hits in threes. And a lot of times it did. You knew as soon as one passed, all of a sudden you'd find a couple of others. It seemed like it hit in groups and people would bring food. People would wear black at the funeral. The funeral home uh, parlor would put out signs saying, slow when you drive by the house. And that's how we show respect for grief. But here Job, in his day and time, he rips his clothes. You know what that ripping was? It was symbolic. It was really what was going on in his heart. When you experience loss, when you experience disappointment and things don't happen your way, listen, it's a time of tearing. It's a tearing of your soul and it's a tearing of your heart. And the Bible says that he shaved his head. In the text, we find that Job experienced a great amount of grief. But you know what you're going to find before it's over with? He also experienced a great amount of grace. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that when there's grief, listen to me, for the child of God, there's grace. But Job makes a conscious choice to deal with his pain a certain way. How do you deal with pain? When you, are, when you are hurt physically, how do you deal with it? I've watched guys in the dorm, whenever they're hurt with horseplay, what do they do? They ball up their fist and they swing back. You say, that doesn't happen in Bible college. Listen, it happens in households and dorms all over this country. That's how we deal with pain. I remember one time there was somebody in our old student, our old student center. It was located in another place on campus when I was in the dean of students' office. And I remember I flicked his ear, and before he even saw who it was, he balled up his fist and he turned around, and when he saw me, he just dropped it. And I looked at him and I said, It's okay, if I dish it out, I ought to be able to take it. But isn't that how we deal with pain? You think about it. Whenever pain comes and it catches us suddenly, boy, all of a sudden we become defensive. And so often we as Christians handle pain in the wrong way. Because not only do you see Job's pain, I want you to see number two, Job's posture. Instead of balling up his fist... And taking a swing at the world around him, the Bible says that he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. 
A lot of times we think the time to worship in chapel is at 10 a.m. And it is. But sometimes it's when the greatest pain hits your heart, that's the time to worship. I'm really struck at the fact that Job fell upon the ground and worshipped. You know, sometimes when people get exasperating news, they just collapse. When you're in the ministry long enough and you break news to people, you're going to see that. I still remember the night that my dad passed away when I was 15 years old. My dad had passed away, it was about 9.30 on a Wednesday night, and when my dad passed off into eternity, I watched my mom, I was an only child, it was just the two of us in the room, I watched my mom just collapse into the chair. She couldn't stand. Why? Because she was overcome, because she was overwhelmed. But I don't think that Job collapsed to the ground out of exasperation. As a matter of fact, I think it was very purposeful. Job falls down to the ground. You know what he does? He humbles himself. You know what I'm learning more and more in this life? Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and He'll lift you up. Humility is the opposite reaction that our flesh wants to take. Our flesh wants to charge. Our flesh wants to rage. Our flesh wants to ask why. And Job, in a time when many people would have swung a fist at God, he immediately falls to the ground in humility. And then the Bible says, and he worshiped. I believe in many churches, if I asked the question, what is worship? I would get a wide swath of answers. As a matter of fact, if I asked you today, I said, what is worship? Somebody may say out there, they'd say, well, worship, you know, that's when you sing. And you know what? You just sort of, as some people would say, you put your praise on. You ever heard anybody use that, 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 that phrase before? Some people say, I'll tell you what, we get in our church, you know, and boy, I'll tell you, we just got it all rolling. I mean, we just get in there and we worship. You know, I really take strong objection to churches that use the term worship pastor for a glorified song leader. And it has nothing to do with, oh, well, that's just newfangled. No, 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 no. I'll tell you where I take objection. Listen to me. If you think that worship is only music, you have a, you have a definition of worship that is much more narrow than the Bible. I believe in a lot of places today it's not worship pastor. Maybe the more accurate word would be entertainment pastor. I'm not saying that everybody that's in that role is of that mindset. But I'm telling you, in the modern church today, there's a lot more geared about entertainment than... You know, boy, well, I'll tell you what, we, the lights weren't working right and the fog machine wasn't working. And, you know, we, and I'll tell you what, the, just, you know, those weren't my favorite songs. And so, therefore, I could not worship. Listen, people that have that kind of a mentality, they have no idea of what the true Bible concept of worship is. When the Bible says that Job fell down on the ground and he worshipped, the word worship in the Old Testament has a very, very simple meaning. It's the idea to bow down. Or if I could say it this way, submit. 
You know how you worship God, young people? I'm going to tell you how you worship God. When you're sitting in the pew and the Holy Spirit hits your heart and you say, you know what, you're right, Lord, and you submit to Him. That's worship. Did you know that? Yes, when you're singing a song like the haven of rest and something swells in your heart and you say, thank God that He did that for me. Listen, yes, that's worship. There comes a time where you need to humble yourself. I know sometimes people frown upon invitations. But let me tell you something. In the Bible, you do see public responses to God's Word. You can't deny it. You can't get past Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching and when he's done, the people say, well, what are we supposed to do? That wasn't, that wasn't private. That was public. And you know, there comes times at the end of a service when God is so drawing on our hearts that we may have to find ourselves on our faces before God. But listen, that's Bible. It's okay. We have to swallow our pride. I'm not saying that the only way you can talk to God is to be on your face or to get down on your knee, but I'll tell you one thing. I believe there's something to it. I'm not trying to be unreasonable. Dr. Childs was talking about him yesterday as I, we were, I was leading a tour about Childs Hall. Brother Childs would be in our faculty men's prayer meeting and probably in his late 80s he came to me one day and he said, Brother Beal, he said, listen, he said, I don't mean to offend anybody, but he said, I can't get down on my knees anymore because if I do, I can't get back up. I said, that's all right, Brother Childs. I think the Lord will give you a pass for that. But I want to give you a specific challenge. I know you could walk out of here and say, well, there's nothing magical about being on your knees. Uh, maybe there's nothing magical about being on your knees, but I'm going to tell you there's nothing magical about standing up all the time either. Let me ask you a question, student. When's the last time you got down on your knees or you got down on your face and you worshiped God? I believe it's foreign to a lot of Christians today. When's the last time that you got down on your knees in prayer? You don't have the excuse that Brother Childs had. And I'm not saying that everywhere you go, you ought to kneel. Listen, I'm not saying that, that that ought to be the case. But when's the last time where just in some privacy you had an intimate moment with God? And I'm not talking about just some spooky feeling. I mean where your heart was gripped by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you knelt before Him and you worshipped it. I think it's something that we're not nearly as familiar with as we ought to be. What do you do when pain comes? Well, you pay attention to what Job did. His posture was he fell on his face before God and he worshipped Him. You know, submission to God is really easy for me until I disagree with Him. Some of you put on that air of sweetness with the teacher, but the very moment they cross you... That's called, you got to learn submission. You're going to get married one day. Guess what? He's not going to always do what you want. I know that's shocking to some of you ladies. It really is. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. He's right. I wanted this restaurant and he wanted that one. He wanted this color on the walls. I wanted this one. And there's sometimes she wins. There's sometimes that I win. But, you know, in the end, without submission, submitting yourselves one another in the fear of God, you just got a big mess is what you've got. 
But I'll tell you something that's worse than a marriage. It's a mess with a lack of submission. And that's when a Christian has a lack of submission and they refuse to bow their will to God. This morning I was writing a stack of notes to prospective students to the point where I just got cramps. And I watched one who was in the 10th grade and it reminded me when I was in 10th grade, when I was 15 years old, it was, it was one of the, outside of my salvation, it was the most transforming year of my life because it was when I was 15 on the back steps of a fellowship hall. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And that is an act of submission that day that has changed my life forever. Do you have a practice of worshiping the Lord? That's the only way Job could make it. And I'm going to tell you what, that's the only way we'll make it too. Number one, you find Job's pain. Number two, you find his posture. Number three, you find his praise. Verse 21 is a verse of praise. One of my most favorite times here at chapel is uh, the praise chapel. I love it. I just learned not to lock my knees up here. I'll pass out because it's like two hours. Two hours of testimonies and music. It's all interspersed. But, you know, it's wonderful. People get up and they're not talking about their corns and their bunions and all of their troubles. And if they are, it's very short-lived because when they talk about how the Lord healed them or gave them grace or whatever the case, you know. But it, I love it. It's like two hours. It just goes by just like that. Praise. And we, we expect that at Thanksgiving. You go to your church and they have pie and praise. Have you noticed that? The more, you know, they didn't have pie and praise when I was a kid in church. I'm bitter. We just had long services that left you hungry. And now you praise the Lord and you eat. You know, isn't that something? People wise up after a while. But I'll be honest, I've never seen a praise service at a funeral, in a sense. I have seen some funerals where it actually you know, took on a, an air of celebration. But, you know, in the world's mindset, that's not the time to praise the Lord. But that's not just true in the world's mindset. That's true in a lot of believers' lives. Because sometimes we fail to see the big picture and we fail to see beyond things like Job did. Notice what he said in verse 21. He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. I don't think any of us debate that fact. You came in with nothing. And even though your body in a casket is going to be clothed, you're going to leave with nothing. I was preaching a funeral for one of my family members years ago. It was a, it was a rough funeral. And uh, he had friends that they were just involved in all kinds of different things. And I remember one of the friends was standing near the casket. And he walked over to the casket and he shoved a sum of money into that casket. And he said, I thought I'd give that to him in case he needed it. Now, I let it alone, but I inside wanted to walk over to the casket and take it and say, he won't be needing that, but I'll be glad to take it. And somewhere north of here, about two hours in a casket, is probably a rolled up $20 bill if it's not deteriorated by now. And you know, I know a lot of times we talk about our possessions. Oh yes, everything is the Lord's. You know, we say that and that's a lot of theory, but sometimes it's not practical living for us. When God puts His hand on your life in a way and you're like, wait a second, that's mine? 
But Job has an amazing attitude towards his possessions. He said, I didn't bring anything in. He said, I, didn't take any, I can't take anything with me. And then he says, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. I love the part where the Lord gives, don't you? I love that. We talk, oh, the Lord gave me this. Students stand up here and they talk about how the Lord gave them money for their school bills. I remember Brother Surrett, who was on our faculty for years, and he would do the announcements. Sometimes he'd moderate testimonies. These students would get up and say, yes, somebody left a $50 bill in my box. And sometimes Brother Surrett would say, you know what? Somebody put a $50 bill in my box, but I have to pay it. It's not a bill that you get to spend. And the truth is, the Lord does give to us, doesn't He? And can I tell you, the Lord's given us more than we could ever deserve. I like talking about the Lord giving. But I don't like talking about the Lord taking away. When God takes someone out of your life, you think prematurely. Or God does something, there's a material possession and poof, it's gone. And now you're disappointed. But Job had an amazing attitude about his possessions. Basically, he said, everything I've got is God's. But not only did he have an amazing attitude about his possessions, notice at the end of the verse, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. You ever had a bad attitude towards your parents? If I preach again, I'll preach on lying for some of you. You know, sometimes happens you have a bad attitude towards your parents. You know, sometimes I can have a bad attitude towards God. How in the world can a man say, you know what? Everything I have, God gave it to me, God will take it away. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. How can you deal, how can you praise God after something like that? I'm going to tell you when you choose to worship Him. There may be some of you in here and you're gripers and complainers by nature. You may gripe and you may complain. Listen, when you get to heaven, that's a foreign language. It won't be there. But I'm talking to some of us here, listen, we've experienced far less than Job has and we gripe and complain. Maybe we should just fall on our faces and worship God. But the last thing that I want you to see is I want you to see Job's purity in verse 22. Now I want you to notice how Job finishes. The Bible says, in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Wow. Job experienced great depths of pain, worshipped God, praised God, and finished with flying colors. Not only does it say that he sinned not, but the Bible says that neither charged God foolishly. Have you ever charged God foolishly? You say, I'm not quite sure what that is. Let me give you a Bible example of what I believe it is, and then let me give you a personal illustration. In Mark chapter 4, the disciples are on the boat. 
And the storm comes and Jesus is asleep in the boat. Remember that? Now Mark chapter 6, Jesus is uh, he's not in the boat. But in Mark chapter 4, He is. And the disciples think they're going to die. And what do they do? They go and they wake up Jesus. And do you remember what they asked Him? They said, Carest thou not that we perish? I don't think they just went to Jesus and said, Excuse me, Son of God. Uh, Hey, uh, see what's going on? Uh, You know, we're, I mean, you like us, right? No, I don't think they were polite about it. The truth is, I think they talked to Jesus just like some of us have talked to God. They said, don't you care? We're dying. We're perishing. Carest thou not that we perish? You know what I believe those disciples did? I believe they charged God foolishly. And unfortunately, to my shame, they are not alone. I remember several years ago when my wife was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. You know, we'd been married, I think, up to that point, like 19 years and she was always the one getting up singing in the morning. And I'd be like, shh. And it was just like over a matter of two years, it was just watching her decline and decrease. It was so frustrating to me to watch my wife. All of a sudden, a life is sucked out of her to the point where she suffered adrenal failure. She's laying in the bed, can't do anything. And here I am. And I mean, all of a sudden, I just... I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do this and now all of a sudden I'm having to do this and this and this and this. There'd be trips where I'd walk back and forth between the house and here and I'd just be like, oh, wow, I've got to get all of this done. And I never begrudged having to do more at home. I just felt like, Lord, this is like almost more than I can take. I still remember one night I was at the sink. It was 10 o'clock at night. I distinctly remember it. It had been a day where as soon as I got home, I hit the ground running and I was just, I mean, wide open. And even with a dishwasher, when you're standing at the sink doing dishes, you know you're, you're behind the eight ball, right? And I was finishing up at the sink and I still remember as I was finishing it up, I had a foolish thought hit my head and I stopped and I said, Lord... And I mean, for about five minutes, I just made my case. I just said, Lord, I'm trying to do this and that, and I'm trying to live right, and I'm trying, you know, yeah. It just, it sounds every bit like I'm sounding. It was awful. And you know, after about five minutes, I think that was just a long suffering of God. God's never spoken to me in an audible voice, but if He had it that day, He'd have said, Are you done? But I remember after I'd made my complaint, I stood there and I knew full well what I'd done. You know what? I'd charged God foolishly. And you know what I came to the realization of? I came to the realization it wasn't God's problem. It's my problem. If I had chosen to worship God, it would have been a lot different. Young people, I want to give you a challenge. I know right now in the news there's 
a lot that's taking place. They're talking about what's happening in different places and revival and such. And, but the reason I'm preaching this message to you is not because I'm worried about any of that. Listen, I believe that if you're going to have a relationship with God, I'm talking a, a, a healthy relationship with God, you've got to know what it means to worship Him in the good and the bad, and that means submitting your heart to God. You know, you students teach me a lot. Sometimes it's my, the teachers who, that I serve with that teach me a lot. Sometimes it's the students that teach me a lot. And uh, Anna, there was uh, several years ago when I was praying for you and praying for your family when your, your adopted mother was dying of cancer. And she doesn't even know this, but it was in a correspondence with me. She was asking for prayer. I told her that we were praying for her. And she asked me at the end of that note, she said, You know what? She said, Pray for my dad and for every decision. She said, It's hard when you go through something like this. But then at the end of that letter, or the end of that note that she wrote me, she said, You know what? It's hard, but I'll never forget it. I've got it right here. She said, It's hard, but nothing belongs to me. And when I walked away from that, I said, that's exactly where Job was at. Young people, I want to ask you to deal with your pain the same way that Job did. Get on your face and worship God.